Let's pray together before we look at the scriptures this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd open our hearts and our minds, give us eyes to see you, give us ears to hear you as we look at scripture this morning, as we think about our own stories, as we ask our questions of you. Help us to find uh, more answers to some of the questions we've been asking. Teach us this morning, Holy Spirit. We're open to what you'd have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does anybody have any good rescue stories? Just raise your hand if you heard a good rescue story. You did. Wow, a lot of people did. I started thinking about the question, and then a theme emerged in my life that I wasn't aware of before, and that's, that's where I need to be rescued after improperly using motor vehicles. So I started thinking of, like, just briefly these stories of how when I was dating Carissa and I had the, some of the, the sisters out to a movie, and then my father-in-law had to come, like, in the middle of the night and rescue me on the side of 94 because my, my car broke down, which meant I didn't have enough gas in the car for it to keep traveling. <laughs> it broke down. It didn't work. It was, it was broken down. And uh, you can only imagine the father-in-law thinking there, like, so my gal's going to, you know, my daughter's going to be marrying this idiot kid who can't even keep gas in his car at 1 in the morning. This is not good. It's not a good sign. I've, I've, run, I've run in like four-wheelers and had to be rescued. Uh, all sorts of different motor vehicle problems. One time I was driving a boat on Lake Minnetonka that my grandfather owned, and it broke down. You notice the theme? It broke down, and then we had to get towed in, so we like flagged a guy down, but we were so dumb we didn't know where to tie the boat off, so we so tied it off to the railing that you hold on to when you get in the boat. And you can imagine what happened just a little while, and then the whole railing got ripped off the front of the boat. Anyway, so the point is, uh, I have some experiences that are mostly trivial of needing to be rescued, and you probably have a few too. I read um, a blog this week that was actually a really helpful parenting blog that I'm not quite at this stage of parenting yet, but some of you are, that was about how to rescue teenagers from parties they don't want to be at. Did you see that one? About the X? The X text? I might be, I might be late to the party. So, so apparently there's this way of, of helping your kids to say, if, they, if your kid's at a party and they want to get out of the party because they don't feel safe or they know they shouldn't be there or there's going to be trouble, they can send you a text that's just X, like the letter X, capital X. And then as a parent or a sibling or whoever, you have this routine you do. So you call, you call within the next five minutes and you make up a story that says, something's happened, and I have to come pick you up right away. I'm going to be there. And if the, then the kid can kind of save face at the party and be like, yeah, I don't know, my dad, you know, he's crazy. He's got a, he says something's going on. Come pick me up. Then you can come pick him up, and they can get out of the party. I thought that was kind of a cool idea, right? I might just text people that when I'm in a meeting I don't want to be in. <laughs> if you get an X from me next week, call me back right away. and be like, Mike, I'm coming to get you. I don't know what's going on. That would be fun. Most of us have been in, uh, in lots of situations where we need rescued or we need to be saved in some way, shape, or form. Some of them are a lot more serious than these kind of stupid stories I'm telling you this morning. Um, some of us have, I know, had to be rescued from uh, experiences of addiction that we've been in that we couldn't get out of. Some of us have been in abusive relationships that we needed somebody to help us to get out of. Some of us uh, have been drowning in debt. Somebody had to help us get out of those situations. 
Many of us have had experiences where we were in tough spots that were literally killing us and someone had to come and rescue us, right? Uh, the truth is that all of us, Christians and non-Christians, everybody, we all need saving at some point in our life, right? We've all had some experiences on a scale from not that big of a deal to a huge deal where we needed to be rescued. And we're talking this month about the Easter story and what's so great about the Easter story. And the story of Easter is a story about God rescuing us. It's a story about God, of the God of the universe, saving us, consistently saving us, not just saving us once, but continually saving us from ourselves. And the Bible's telling us the story about how Jesus was sent to save the world by giving up his life and overcoming death. And so if you're a Christian, that's a familiar story. And if you see me here and I point to this cross, you kind of have an idea of what I mean, that death and resurrection is central to the Christian faith. But if you're not a Christian, or if you're having a conversation with your neighbor who doesn't really have a church background, and you start saying things like, well, yeah, everybody needs saving. Or, you know, Jesus had to die in order to save us. That probably doesn't make a lot of sense to those people, right? And so we've been engaging these questions that help us answer the question, what's so great about Easter? And today's question is simply, why did Jesus have to die? Why is this cross uh, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, uh, why did that have to happen? Why is that part of the story? Why is death and resurrection a necessary part of the rescuing plan of God in the world through Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus have to die? Now, if we start to think about this question, you have to realize that it's a question that Jesus himself wondered about and struggled with. So at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus enters into this time of temptation in a desert for 40 days, which is part of the Lenten season that we're in now, that we're observing. And most of the temptation that Jesus faces from the devil in this story is about trying to accomplish what God sent him to accomplish in a different way. So the temptation is to say, you don't really have to live your life and then give it up and overcome death that way. You can just magically take stones and turn them into bread and you'll be a super popular guy. If you can just produce the goods and services that people want and they don't have to pay for them, you can tell them to do anything you want. So take this stone and turn it into bread, the devil says to Jesus, and that will be the way you can save the world. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's, that's not how this works. We don't live just on bread and goods and services. We have to worship God, and that's where we get our sustenance from. So the devil comes at him with a second temptation. And the second temptation involves him being invited to throw himself off the top of a temple in Jerusalem. And the devil's saying, you know, if you jump off this temple, some angels are never going to let you hit the ground because of who you are. They're going to swoop in and save you. And then you don't have to waste all this time trying to convince people that you're really the son of God. They'll just see it. So why go about all these stories and parables and healings and trying to get people to understand? Just jump off this thing and get saved in a really public way. And then everybody will have to acknowledge who you are. And Jesus says, no, that's not the plan. We don't put God to test that way. That's not the way in which the world gets saved. And finally, 
The devil tempts him by saying, okay, I have authority right now. I have some authority in the world to control things and to influence things. Evil has the ability to influence. If you worship me, if you give your allegiance to me, I will give you all my authority. You can make happen anything you want after that. And Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm not going to save the world by worshiping anything less than the Almighty God. But this is an open question for Jesus, not just in this temptation story, but all the way to the end of his life, right before he dies, the night before he's arrested, he's struggling in a garden, and he's trying to get his friends to pray with him. And what is the request that he's making of the Father in that garden? He's saying to him, please, if there's another way to do this, Let's do it a different way. So this question, why did Jesus have to die, was a question that Jesus himself struggled with, you see? All the way to the end of his life. And the response to that question at the end was the father saying to the son, this is the only way for us to accomplish this. You have to do it. And then Jesus says, okay, if this is the only way to do it, then your will be done. So, maybe the simplest way to answer this question, why did Jesus have to die, if you can put this on the screen for me, Phil, is simply to say, Jesus had to die to save the world from sin. There was no other way uh, via miracles or popularity or producing goods and services to make the wrongs right that had been caused by sin in order for the world to be saved, Jesus had to die in order to overcome the effects of sin. Simple answer, right? That's a good neighbor answer. If you're ever talking to a neighbor about why Jesus had to die or why Christians believe that Jesus had to die, you could simply say, because that was the only way to overcome sin, to save the world from sin. Uh, I chose a passage for us to read today to kind of dig into this a little bit further from Colossians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you want to look along with me, Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. In Colossians chapter 2, there's part of this letter where Paul is trying to remind the church of the centrality of Jesus' death and resurrection, the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection. And it gets right at our question that we're asking today. So here, let me read it to you. He says to the church, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And, very important and, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Now, there's a whole lot in these two verses, so just leave them up for me for a minute, Phil, will you? Let me unpack this just a little bit. So what this text is telling us is that one thing that Jesus had to accomplish through dying on the cross was the ability to offer us forgiveness for sins, right? It says he cancels the charge of our legal indebtedness and off forgives us all of our sins. 
So you might say, okay, forgiveness somehow comes through Jesus' death on the cross, but why? Why does it have to be, why did it have to be such a violent thing? Some of you have seen Easter movies that represent the death of Jesus in a very graphic way, right? And it's hard to watch. And you, and you might say, I don't understand why that was such a violent thing that Jesus had to go through. And this little line here that's hard to understand that says, he had to cancel our debt. He had to cancel the legal indebtedness that was condemning us. It needs to be unpacked just a little bit. You see, in the Old Testament, there were agreements, and they were legal agreements between the Jewish people and God. God made covenants with these people and said, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you will be blessed. If you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you will be cursed. And at one point in the Old Testament, they actually get up on separate mountains. And, and God has them declare both the blessings and the curses by yelling them at each other on the mountaintops so that everybody in the community would know, like, this is what we're all agreeing to. If we live the way that God is inviting us to live, we will enjoy God's blessing. And if we cross over that line, we will be suffering the consequences of not living the way that God wants us to live. And so for a Jewish listener, when you say the indebtedness, they would understand, yeah, we made an agreement. We couldn't keep up our end of the bargain. And we know that we're under Roman oppression in part because we didn't do what God asked us to do. We worshiped other gods. We chose a different way. We didn't live the way that God invited us to live. Now, there's a, there's a translation problem that also goes along with this that applies to most of us who didn't grow up as Jewish people and didn't live a long time ago. And that is that because God planned to bless the whole world through the Jewish people, it also meant that the other people in the world didn't get to see the light that God had for them because the Jewish people didn't let that live through them. They were not a conduit of God's blessing to the rest of the world. So not only did the Jews suffer because they had broken God's agreement, but then the rest of the world didn't get to feel the blessing of God because that was the way in which God wanted to bless the world. And so when you hear this line, you shouldn't think of it so much as God having a moral checklist of things that you've done wrong in your life that he's mad about, that somehow Jesus paid the price. Because if that's the way we think about it, doesn't the cross seem just terribly overdone? It's too hard to even think about Jesus having to die because of your individual moral failures. It's too much. There must have been a different way to account for that. See, I think the violence and the suffering that God had to go through was much more about the, the corporate effect of sin on the whole of creation, including our lives. This is literally destroying the world that God created. Again, remember last week I told you that the, the world is groaning out for God's redemption. All of creation is groaning under the suffering that sin has introduced into it. And for some of you who have had experiences in your life where your sin or someone else's sin or the sin of a system has caused you so much pain and so much suffering and so much loss, it's hard to imagine anything making up for that. When I think about the cross and all the pain that Jesus went through, I also think about the most painful stories I know of people in my life. Some people who are innocently 
um, going through horrible, violent things or losses that make no sense that they didn't deserve at all. And other places where people know they will never find any justice for the rest of their life for a whole set of different reasons. I think forgiveness and justice have to be understood together. At times in the Bible, it says that God allowed sins to go on unpunished or unreconciled. And the cross is the place where all of those things get reconciled, where all the wrong things get made right. If you don't connect forgiveness and justice, it's easy to just think of it as, I've done some things wrong, and that's why Jesus had to die. That's part of it. But it's not nearly the whole story. And unless we recognize the bigger picture of God's forgiveness accomplishing justice for all people that have ever experienced injustice in their life, then, then it's too much. What Jesus accomplished on the cross was forgiveness of all of our individual sins and also the forgiveness and healing of everything wrong that's ever happened in the history of the world. And that's why the God of the universe had to suffer the way he suffered. Because when you collect all of those wrongs in human history, it's massive. The weight that Jesus felt was that collection of the effect of sin over all of created history. And somehow, this text is telling us that God loved us so much that instead of just letting sin destroy all of us and the world that he created, he decided to save it. And the only way to save it that was in line with God's character was not to overcome us, was not to destroy us, was not to overpower us, but to become one of us and to suffer more than anyone else had suffered. To experience loss that everyone else had had experienced only on a small scale compared to what Jesus experienced. And to win by dying and giving himself up for everyone else. So part, part of our challenge as we hear this story and what's so great about Easter is asking ourselves the question, What do we need forgiveness for as a group of people? What do we need forgiveness for as individuals? And how do we need to extend forgiveness, God's forgiveness, that we've received to other folks, to other people who also need it, to our neighbors, who many of them are stuck because people have sinned against them, because systems have sinned against them, because they've made bad choices and sinned themselves, yes? The good news of Easter is needed by every neighbor to say, we don't have to live with this anymore. There's a place where we can find forgiveness and love and freedom and a clean slate, not because we're great or because we can overcome it ourselves, but because God has done it for us. Amen? The second thing that this text says that's really important is not only that we are offered forgiveness and the world is offered forgiveness, but also that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, that he unmasks evil on the cross and makes a public spectacle of evil. Let's think about that for a second. Jesus saved us from our sin by defeating evil on the cross and making a public spectacle of it. 
instead of just convincing us that some things are bad, Jesus demonstrates how evil evil can be that an innocent person who had absolutely had done nothing wrong could be crucified and killed in one of the worst ways for no good reason. For the reason of people in power trying to hold their power, right? For people in authority trying to control any uprising that might happen so that they don't lose their privilege. Jesus uses the power of evil against itself. This is not meant to be a trite comment, but uh, in the practice of judo, any, do we have any judo practicers in here? That's not even the right word. You can tell my ignorance, right? The idea behind, behind the practice of judo is that you use someone's power against them, right? So if they, if they come at you violently, instead of trying to force back, you use their power against them, like you pull them forward and they just keep going in the direction they're going. This is what Jesus does on the cross. Instead of fighting back against the evil, he pulls it in and says, do your worst to me. Do your worst to me, and then you won't be able to affect the other people that believe in me and that have faith in me. Jesus overcomes evil by accepting the worst that could be given to any person by dying as an innocent man for people who weren't innocent and exposing evil for what it is, a lie, an injustice, an oppressive and selfish force. By suffering an unjust, de un unjust death, Jesus exposes evil and strips it of its power. By rising from the dead, Jesus proves that God's power is greater than the power of evil. By rising from the dead, Jesus shows us that we can trust God to raise every one of us from the dead. And that means we can live our lives freely, not in fear of death, as we talked about last Sunday. Evil has no power over us who, who trust in Jesus, yes? Where is the power of evil and the fear of death preventing you from living the life that God wants for you? Where is the power of evil and the fear of death preventing you from living the life God wants for you? Let me invite the band to come back up. Here's what's so great about Easter in this question. That Christianity has helped us to understand a story about the God of the universe who does for us what we can't do for ourselves. That means that all of our relationships together and with God are gifts to us. Not one person in this room deserves to be loved by God. I had a professor in seminary who used to say, uh, be careful when you ask for justice for yourself because nobody really wants justice. Nobody really wants justice, especially those who are in power or have lots of privilege because it means that we all get what we deserve. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I am going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And if you trust me, if you believe in me, because I've accomplished something through my death that nobody else could accomplish, then you can live with me forever. Then you don't have to be afraid 
of what happens to you when you die. Because you'll be with me. I will raise you the same way that I was raised. You don't have to let evil overcome your life. You don't have to be afraid of the ways in which evil might affect you. And you don't have to allow sin that so easily captures every one of us to oppress you in your life. When I think about neighbors, I don't know if there's a message that all of us as neighbors, I'm not saying like you as, your, you as the person who gets it, going to tell your neighbor, this is the good news, you don't get it. You want to say it like a guy who, or a gal who just found something amazing for free and wants everybody else to have the same thing for free. You're just saying in the neighborhood, like I'm forgiven. I, I don't worry, sin does not define me anymore. And there's all kinds of evil things in the world, but I'm, I'm not afraid of those things. And let me tell you about how I live my life and my church's their life because we're not worried about that anymore. Because we're trusting God that God has already overcome these things for us and there's no reason why you can't be part of that too. Aren't there people in our neighborhoods who need to be rescued? Aren't there people who need to be saved? And aren't we people who need to be saved? Can't we tell our stories of being rescued humbly and invite other people into the conversation? Here's God's invitation for us. Receive forgiveness by trusting what Jesus did for you. Live in freedom from sin because Jesus conquered sin and death. By faith, accept those truths in your life and let them shape how you live every day as free people who are forgiven by God. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, it's really hard for us to even understand or comprehend what it was like to say yes when the Father asked you to give up your life. We just, we can't even get it. But we know that you did it. And we know that it offers us forgiveness and victory in our lives. So I pray for us, God, as we worship here, that we would respond to your invitation, that we would say yes to this invitation that you're still extending to us to be forgiven people, to be wiped clean of our sin, and to be people who are offering forgiveness and your justice to everyone around us. Empower us, God, and give us courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Paul was summarizing this great news of Easter, of the forgiveness of sins and the overcoming of evil and death to the Roman church, he says to them and teaches them how they should respond. And I just wanted to read this as a response for all of us today before we sing our last song. It's from Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one 
Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding and praying for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.